This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Today we are following up on yesterday's explosive report from the military on the deplorable conditions in five of our long-term care homes. Cockroaches and other insect infestations, residents being left in soiled diapers and rotten food. I use the word explosive deliberately and it is shocking, but it is not a surprise to those of us who are engaged in this issue. So, what will be done? For the moment, it's a political football. They told Ontarians, and I quote, Long-term care is a priority for our government. Quote, Our government has been doing everything to support them. Quote, We're putting an iron ring of protection around our seniors. None of that was true. I will do everything in my power... I will move heaven and earth to do what is right, to help these people, to help those who need us. That is our job. It is our responsibility. And we will stop at nothing less. Okay, well, and amid the finger pointing at Queen's Park, there are persistent calls for the federal government to take charge. But how? And how do we make sure this is the report that finally leads to action. I would like to hear from you, especially if you have an experience of a loved one or yourself in a long-term care home and what's going on there. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'm joined by Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, Lisa Levin, Chief Executive Officer of Advantage Ontario, and Graham Webb, Executive Director of the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly. Welcome to you all. And uh, Marissa and Lisa, it's, it's been less than a week since we talked about this. So what is new? Well, the report was uh, difficult to read. There's no question. Um, a lot of the issues that were laid out in this report are, of course, endemic, and people that are in this space know that all too well, albeit to varying degrees. Um, but there's no question that reading a report like this will make your stomach turn. Um, one of the things I can say I was honestly shocked by Libby, is the fact that in spite of the fact that the military was in these homes, uh, it, it, there was still gross negligence and abuse that went on. And it was almost as if the staff there were impervious to the military even being there. And, you know, that just speaks to how, you know, devastated these these homes have been by COVID-19. Uh, Lisa, was there anything in there that surprised you? Speaking for myself, the only thing that surprised me was this report of force-feeding a patient while they were lying down, which possibly led to the patient's death. Lisa, so what surprised you? Well, I guess, Libby, that this report confirmed my worst fears. When we were hearing about stories in Italy and Quebec 
And then I started getting calls from my members and hearing that some of them were down by 80% of their staff. I thought we need to get staff into these homes or else there's, it's going to be really bad. And so we have worked um, tirelessly with our members to do that. Uh, and it, it is it is shocking and very upsetting to read the report. But unfortunately, I'm not completely surprised. Graham, is there anything in oh. there that surprised you? In terms of the content of the report, uh, no. Uh, I've been uh, working since 1995 in this area. I'm familiar with uh, four of the five homes, and I have worked on cases that have uh, this type of neglect and abuse or worse in these very homes. And so I'm not surprised. The only thing that surprises me is that uh, the military was there for only two weeks before they they blew the top and said, uh, we got to report this. And also the uh, bluntness of the language and the detail of the the detail of the observations, and also with great gratitude that they didn't go through the normal channels. They went right through the military, and uh, it didn't get shoved under the rug. Well, yes, I was I was going to ask you that, uh, Graham, because uh, your colleague, Jane Metis, has said that if that report, she believes that if that report had been filed with the Ministry of Long-Term Care, we would never have found out about it. That's our belief, yes. Um, we have reported things... Uh, uh, of abuse and neglect in long-term care homes, and we seldom see any uh, spotlight or action. And so um, I am always dismayed that we have these conditions in long-term care homes in Ontario. I grieve over what I read in this report, and at the same time, I'm relieved that there's now a large spotlight shining on this, because I think this is a moment for opportunity for change. That is one of the benefits of the military going in there. To Graham's point, they don't care what they say. I mean, they report to the federal government right up a very significant chain of command. And so this report is as unbiased as as you can get. Um, the one thing that Graham just mentioned that I think is so critical in all of this is – what is the mechanism for people to complain? It's through the ministry or potentially to the patient ombudsman, but there's no urgency involved in it and there's no ability to intercede quickly. So if you see that your loved one hasn't been bathed for five weeks or is only getting two meals a day, and we've heard those stories, Libby, you know, what do you do and how do you intervene quickly? There needs to be a better plan in place for that. Well, it's interesting with the inspections... The minister, Marilee Fullerton, has been saying that they moved from these once-a-year comprehensive inspections to inspections based on complaints to get to more complaints. But but the inspections don't seem to be fulsome. And now, during the pandemic, this slays me, they've been conducting inspections by phone. Now, the people who work in long-term care homes are essential workers. And yes, they are in harm's way. But why do these civil servants who probably make uh, many times as much money as they do, why are they exempt and allowed to phone in? Lisa? Well, I think, first of all, I want to clarify that I don't want um, the callers and and people listening to think that the report from the Army is the way that all long-term care homes are across the province. The Army was called into these homes because they were at the worst situations. I believe that there are some other very bad situations as well that hospitals have been called into. But 
Um, it is not that this is the kind of thing that goes on all the time in all long-term care homes across Ontario. So we represent the not-for-profit municipal homes. We have 200 members, um, and we feel that at this point, many of our members' homes are really well under control. In terms of inspections, I think that, you know, I, I can't say what the ministry did and why they did it. Probably the rationale at first was that uh, inspections are very onerous procedures, and if they were just routine then they probably decided to delay them because homes were so completely um, preoccupied with caring for residents that that's what they were doing. Graham, what do, how do you see that? Well, I think the complaints-based inspection process is completely ineffective because um, people in long-term care are often unable to advocate for themselves. And what we see is that some of the best homes have the most complaints because they have concerned family members who make complaints on their behalf. And some of the worst homes that we see have fewer complaints because um, the residents are, are not able to complain. They don't have an advocate. And so we really need a proactive uh, regular inspection system that is not just investigating a complaint or is complaints driven, that uh, really regularly uh, inspects all homes. I, and I, and I would say, and I know that Graham as a lawyer can probably speak better to this, but the province isn't living up to its own standard. You know, under the, the Long-Term Care Home Act in Ontario, every long-term care home is supposed to be inspected at least once per year. And that, that could be open to interpretation. Is it in response to a complaint or is it random? But one thing we learned from the inquiry from Elizabeth Welloffer was that they need to be doing random inspections so that these homes aren't given a heads-up notice. And I just want to echo one thing um, that Lisa mentioned earlier. Uh, as, as much as I've heard real horror stories from people calling in sharing what's been going on in long-term care. She's right. I've I've also heard stories of people that have called to say, you know, this home is doing an exceptional job of keeping my loved one safe. So it really isn't an across-the-board problem, but, uh, you know, for sure the, the the systemic challenges in long-term care, I would say, are across the board. Well, yeah, we have uh, 600 and, uh, 26. 626 long-term care homes, and there have been outbreaks in, I yeah. think, 175 or something like that. So and the other thing I want to add, is that, you know, inspections are an important part of the conversation and making sure that um, things are safe in long-term care. But unless we get more resources, we can have inspections for the, you know, on and on and on. And our homes will, will not always meet the requirements because they don't have enough staff and they don't have enough funding. Well, and I, it, I agree with that. It's also, but the, the, there are inspections and, you know, sometimes there are, I don't know what you call them, citations, orders, but then there's no follow up. the 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 ministry doesn't follow up to see was this was this corrective action actually taken. And if there is gross negligence, I mean, I, I think it would be fair to say they've exhausted every option before you know the, the last measure, which is ultimately to potentially shut down that home, which happens very, very rarely. But I but I will just say too to your point earlier, Libby. I mean, how are they conducting inspections by phone? How do you spot a cockroach over the telephone? You can't. Uh, they, they make noise. Never mind. I was going to say they make noise when you uh, step <laughs> on one. Let's hear from Betty uh, in Niagara-on-the-Lake. Hello, Betty. Hello. How are you? Yeah. How are you, Libby? Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I'm uh, I'm a uh, president of an organization called Guardian Angels Program. We've been around for about 20 years, 
And, uh, you know, this was no surprise, um, what happened. The government, uh, pre- all the government predecessors knew. They've known for years. There's been so many investigations. There's so many advocacy groups that have notified the government about this. Nobody listens. This is great that the military has blown the whistle, um, but right away, immediately, they could uh, legislate uh, annual inspections that they, and I know some of the people don't, they're not the greatest. They're, they're a bit of a joke, but at least they were getting in there um, annually because the residents can't, some of them can't complain themselves. Uh, increased wages for the PSWs, work, have them working in one home, just some of the things they've implemented now with COVID, keep that, that should be permanent. Um, and increase the hours of care. I, I take care of a woman in a nursing home who, uh, and I've been told by the PSWs, 12 minutes to get them up, dressed, and uh, in the dining room for breakfast. It's impossible to do what they, they're doing. And as I said, it's not Doug Ford's fault. It's not this government. It's been all the predecessors. All the governments knew, and, and nothing changes. And as, as your other guest said, it, sure, there's 626 homes. Every home isn't in the kind of condition that these, uh, the military had discovered. But there is a lot of neglect and abuse going on in nursing homes. And as I said, it's been going on for decades. Okay, thank you very much, Betty, for your call. And let's get to that blame game. So um, we, there's a lot of finger pointing since this came out. So on the one <laughs> hand, we have the government, Doug Ford saying he's this is the worst report he's ever read, and he will spare no expense. He used those words. Marilee Fullerton, the minister, she sounds like she's going to cry every time she gets up and discusses this. And she keeps saying, we've been doing our best. We've been doing it, blah, blah, blah. And then you have Andrea Horvath, the opposition leader, saying this is their fault. They they um, made it easier for unqualified people to work. They refused to increase the hours of care per per uh, patient. So, so, so what do you think of this kind of political... Um, I don't know, this this political action and uh, is the solution to get the federal government involved? Uh, you know, frankly, Justin Trudeau, to me, sounds reluctant. He's saying we have the military and we want to respect the provinces. Marissa. So that's a loaded question. Um, I, I do think that Ontario was slow to act compared to other provinces. So, for example, um, in BC, they, they limited care workers to one home two weeks before Ontario did. Um, you know, they recommended against all non-essential travel sooner, sooner than Ontario did. I think that the, there was more of a unified response in terms of messaging that went out to the public sooner. So I think um, you know, on, the Ontario government can take some blame for that. Having said that, the, the situation in long-term care is not their fault. Um, it is the fault of every government uh, that has not acted on this. Um, to your question about the role of the federal government, of course, I appreciate the jurisdictional divide between the feds and the provinces. But I do think that there's no question, if you take a step back and you look at the overall picture of how we're going to continue to provide care to an aging population and a of course, long-term care is one component of that. I do think that there is a role for the federal government to play, and I do think that they have to come to the table um, and participate in that and also to provide funding. And it's interesting, you know, uh, last week I was talking to no less a private sector icon than Hazel McCallion, and she Mm -hmm. said this should come under the Canada Health Act, and inspections must be better. 
So I, so I, I, I agree with that, actually. I, you know, I do think that we need to go back. We need to recall why we got into public health care in the first place, um, you know, it, it, to reduce the, the barrier to health services, irrespective of someone's ability to pay. And, you know, we all know the Canada Health Act funds medically necessary services, acute care hospitals, physician-based services. But when you look at the characteristics of people living in long-term care and what's going on in some of these homes, I would argue it's an extension of hospitals and needs to be brought under that. I don't think that people should be challenged for to have to pay for for something that, in my opinion, is medically necessary. And of course, a lot of them are in hospitals. Lisa, what do you think? What do you, would you like to see this, the federal government do, if anything? This is everyone's business, Libby, and we need to get help at all levels. So we need the federal government to contribute money to long-term care in terms of providing more staffing, uh, paying for more staffing, and paying for uh, the ability um, to upgrade the infrastructure in the homes. Some of the homes are older and have four people sharing a room. So we need them to help cost share just like they do for mental health and addictions and the same that they do for um, for home care. But we also need to have the province to move forward as soon as possible to make changes and um, we need to look at the system in the future. So I don't agree that we should have long-term care homes all fall under hospitals, but I do agree it would be a good idea to have them under the Canada Health Act. So we represent the leaders in long-term care, our municipal partners and nonprofit partners, our community-based and cultural, and, uh, you know, they provide very good care. They just need the, the resources to be able to to provide people the the care that they need and deserve. Let's let's just hear from uh, Graham a sec. And and what do you think about the federal government coming into this, or or how should the system be overhauled to to make it work? Well, practically, the immediate problems are there not enough staff. Long term care homes need more staff. Uh, there's not a big enough labor pool for the staff. It's hard to criticize homes that uh, can't find uh, PSWs to to work especially to work in only one home. And there need to be more resources in uh, training of PSWs and uh, training for infection control. And these are all things that the federal government should have a role in. At one time, the Canada Health Act had teeth. It was something that carried uh, penalties and enforcement because interprovincial federal provincial transfers had strings attached. But we cut the strings. It's like a uh, no-condition type of uh, transfer and the provinces can do whatever they like, and, and, and there's no uh, implications on the federal-provincial transfers. And so I think the federal government needs to provide funding that the provinces need uh, to pass on to long-term care homes to hire more staff. And it's not just the hiring. It's also the uh, registration or regulation of PSWs, the training of PSWs, the promotion of a national labor pool, labor pool of PSWs. And these are all things where the federal government has a role, certainly with funding and also with coordination between provinces, because a lack of coordination between provinces can uh, restrict the labor pool where uh, workers move from one province to another. So uh, so maybe just a one point of clarification on my part. So I don't actually believe that that that, that long term care should fall under the under hospitals, but rather um, it should be funded as hospitals are under the Canada Health Act. Alternatively, you could bring in a separate piece of legislation if you didn't want to open the Canada Health Act. That could be a can of worms in and of itself. And that legislation could incorporate, uh, you know, long-term institutional care and long-term 
long-term home care. Okay, Clay and Ajax. Hello, Clay. Hi, how are you today? Fine, how are you? Good, you stole some of my thunder. Sorry. 175 inspectors, 626 homes. That's less than four per inspector. As far as I'm concerned, I go along. I don't, I don't usually agree with Horvath, but Fullerton should be fired as well as the inspector that was responsible for Orchard Villa that 125 infractions. 52 weeks a year means once every 13 weeks they're inspected, possibly. What else were they don't, doing? Now, like I said, I don't often agree with Horvath, but I, I agree with the firing of Fullerton as well as a specific inspector that was at fault with the incident at uh, Orchard Villa. And, and, but uh, how far back did that go? I mean, Graham, I think you were saying that that you've, you've had issues with the same homes. Was Orchard Villa one of those? And I, I bet it went back further beyond Merrily Fullerton. Yeah, I've seen problems under all governments. Uh, when we speak of Marilyn Fullerton look like, looking like she wanted to cry, I uh, remember reports of the former Minister of Health, George Smitherman, broke, breaking down in tears when confronted with the problems in long-term care homes at the time. And quite frankly, if I were the uh, minister responsible for long-term care homes, I'd probably cry too. Because it needs so much work, it needs so much help, it needs so much resources that they're not getting. It's not the blame game gets us nowhere. Can I, we need and to, neither will crying. Neither right. will crying. We need yeah. to. We, we, need we need societal change to decide what resources we're willing to put into long-term care. Jerry Diaz last night in the news, Libby was saying that uh, none of his people, none of the Unifor people, worked the, for profit homes. But there was one for-profit home, he didn't mention that, that they, whether there, any of his people were there. The PSWs aren't trained properly. That's one of the problems they needed, and they don't have ready, steady, regular jobs, as you know. They move them around. Well, I mean, yeah, we got to stop. Like, I mean, you know, it, it's okay to say to give it to the federal government. Like, Mr. Trudeau's done a fantastic job with Grassy Narrows, hasn't he? How, how long has that been going on, Lib, with the with Indigenous people dying from the bloody mercury poisoning and that? Well, well, exactly. Um Clay, thanks for your call. And and speaking of the PSWs and and the fact that they have not, that they've finally been barred from working in more than one home, will that pay top up that they were promised? They haven't got it yet. The provincial government says it's coming soon. These are people who are who have worked in multiple homes because the homes don't want to pay benefits. It's not that there isn't enough work. And uh, this pay top-up that they've been promised, and I'm sure there are uh, good administrative reasons for it taking so long, but but they were promised this weeks ago, and uh, they don't have the money. I'm thinking, you know, how, how are they buying groceries? Uh, you know, Lisa? Well, I just want to clarify that homes want to be able to pay benefits to all their staff if they can, but the amount of funding they get from the province doesn't let them. Um, in terms of when the money's going to flow, we have been asking for it, and I guess it's some kind of bureaucratic blockage because they, they certainly are being responsive at the Ministry of Long-Term Care. We've talked to them about how the money would flow, and they've consulted with us on the allocation model. So we just need to get that money out there to people. Yeah, get the money out there. I mean, they, the, the, the money came from the federal government, and they were, you know, I've got to give them credit. Fast enough with the CERB, of course, it went through the Canada Revenue Agency. They know how to make money move. <laughs> well, I, I would like to jump in and say that if a personal support worker um, uh, wants to get CERB, uh, they could probably find a way to get it within the week. Yeah. Whereas... Uh, reporting to work if they're not getting the uh, the top ups 
that's shameful. Well, well, they haven't got the top ups yet, and I'm saying these are it's, you know, it's not like telling somebody with adequate savings or whatever you got to wait another week. It's somebody who needs that money because they they aren't making their basic money if they're no longer working in in more than one home. That's right. They're- and the other problem with top ups is that it's a temporary solution for a uh, a systemic a chronic problem. Well, we'll see if if Doug Ford, you know, how long it takes him to act, because one thing they have said and they keep saying is we will not wait for whatever they end up doing, commission, public inquiry, that they will start fixing things now. So it's like, okay, let's let's see it. Boy, our our uh, our phones are lit up and we're almost out of time. Uh, Oh, Sophia Novansky, one of our uh, media advisors here. Hi, Sophia. Hi, Libby. Go ahead. You're on the air. Big fan, as you know, Libby. So listen, I I just wanted to jump in on the conversation because it's so uh, personal to me. I don't want to start crying because you're bringing up memories of my uh, grandfather, who, you know, we suffered through what we, you know, the the nursing home neglect. And my grandparents raised us Greek uh, Canadians. And we never expected to put them in the nursing home, but my grandma got sick and ended up there, so granddad wanted to go. And, you know, he got a simple infection. It was UTIs, bladders, that sort of thing, and he had a catheter put in him. And, you know, what happened to my granddad is that the PSWs, you know, were so uh, uneducated with regards to medical care, you know, and that's the thing. They're not prepared to handle if real problems come up with, like, medical care. So my grandfather ended up, you know, being neglected. And in the middle of the night, his feces literally rose up through his body, and it came out of his mouth. Oh, no. And nobody, and nobody uh, wanted to tell us or admit that that had happened. So we figured it out. And, you know, my, da- my grandfather's death and getting sick was was real neglect that could have been raised up. Like, we, we complained, we wrote to the Obisman, the whole bit. Nobody cared. And, you know, the fact that the PSWs are so uneducated, they're not nurses, and they're not capable of handling the real problems that arise with some of these old people that get sick. And, you know, they're not really given any access to their doctors. They barely saw the doctors. Maybe once every three months, a doctor would do a round. And this was a high-end nursing home. So I just wanted to jump in and say, you know, the, the real problem here is that they really are not prepared. They're uneducated. The, the PSWs are not qualified in many respects to handle the problems that arise. Well, that's, and that's, and, you, and that, that's, my, that's just my two cents on that. And I would love to know that that is being, you know, uh, looked at and that those people are, are given the tools they need to really help, because well, in well, many cases they're not. I'm, I'm, that story is, is shocking, Sophia, and, and um, thanks for sharing it, and it, it's very upsetting to hear. Though you can't, you know, paint PSWs with the same brush, though there are certain kinds of services that you need a higher level of expertise. Yeah. And this was basic, right, Libby? It wasn't like... He was in there because he was so sick and he had real issues. And I mean, he, he got like a little problem that, that turned into major problem because of, I don't know why, not enough medical attention. It, it was just so tragic and sad. And I wanted to share that because I, not because I want to say every PSW, but there, there was a real issue with PSWs just not being capable of giving 
patients the care that they oh. needed and real lack of nursing staff, oh. if you will. Okay. Well, it's lack of nursing staff. That's what it is. Um, yeah. We need Thanks, more Sophia. nurses at home and more PSWs. Um, we are basically out of time here. So, um, we're obviously, I mean, you know, we talk about this, I think twice a week, so we will all reconvene, I'm sure very, very soon. But in the meantime, I'd like to hear, uh, what would you like to leave us with starting with Marissa? Well, um, that was a deeply disturbing story. And, you know, one thing that I've come to learn in this role is, you know, this is very personal for people. And and we're talking about human beings. We're talking about moms and dads, brothers and sisters, grandmothers and grandfathers. And I think we've, we've lost sight. We've, we've in some ways reduced them to a statistic in some of the reporting. And, and we've lost sight of the fact that long-term care is someone's home and it should be the kind of place that you would want to live in. And right now, a lot of these homes, they're simply not. Lisa. So uh, all I can say is that we need to change the system. We cannot wait any longer. We need to get more resources. And also, we need to thank the staff that have stayed in the homes and worked through COVID-19. I mean, there are some horrible stories that we've been hearing, but there's also some amazing heroes many, many amazing heroes, and shout out to them, to all the nurses, PSWs, and frontline staff uh, and management who have stuck it out in long-term care. Graham? This is something that affects everybody. Almost everyone knows someone in their circle of family or or friends who has been affected by this particular crisis in long-term care homes. And this is not a COVID problem. This is a long-term care problem. COVID is the stress that has laid bare the problems and brought them to everyone's attention. Okay, and let's hope that COVID is the catalyst that will finally, finally make uh, it make it happen, that something is done to clean up, change this system. Thank you so much, Lisa Levin, Graham Webb, and Marissa Lennox. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.